At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when he will make everything wrong, right. In a way, he's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, his saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives, where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Allow me to introduce myself. (laughs) My name is Rob. I serve as a lead pastor here at the White Lake Campus occasionally. (laughs) I say occasionally because it's been a while since most of you saw me or uh, had an opportunity to see my family. And in fact, it was the middle of summer. That's the last time that I stood behind this pulpit. And that is because I had the uh, privilege uh, of going on a two-month sabbatical uh, from pastoral ministry. And uh, the primary goal during that time, uh, you'll understand the connection between Sabbath and sabbatical. During that time, the primary goal is refreshment. And so when you take a Sabbath, it is Sabbath rest. Rest looks like mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual refreshment. And uh, that is done in Christ. And so that is what I was able to experience, and that is exactly what the last couple of months have been like, and it has been fantastic. I'm very, very grateful. Now, I want to thank you for those of you who sent messages, those who sent cards, those who who supported me and my family during that time away. I just want you to know uh, you guys are a blessing, and we missed you this summer. Uh, That was one of the hardest things for us. This church is such an integral part of who we are as a family, so being away from here was actually pretty difficult, and I just uh, want you to know it is my privilege to, uh, to serve with you and to journey with you in faith. Now, uh, I want to just go back a little bit and recognize that to get the best out of my time away, I began shortly after the 4th of July. But before that, a few months before that actually, uh, I had to do what we all do when we plan to go away. The word there was plan. I need to plan. And so my intentional plan for my two-month sabbatical included many different things. I'll just kind of go over a few of them. I was going to intentionally connect with some old friends, which I did. I sought some counseling, which I did. I participated in, in rigorous and consistent exercise. Some Midwest travel was included in there. A little Major League Baseball and a whole lot of reading. And it was truly a time of refreshment. Now, some of you might be going, why are you giving me all of those details? I'm jealous. I don't want to know your details. Now, the reason I'm giving those is because I want you to know that it wasn't just this two-month period where I just kind of woke up in the morning and thought, well, what am I going to do today? Um, it, It was very intentional. And I sought to do certain things. I planned to do certain things. And it was something that I prayed about, I prepared for, and I waited for with a tremendous amount of anticipation. 
It was something that in the spring I was looking forward to. And I'm not alone in that. You guys, this summer, I know a few members of our congregation went on cruises. That was something you planned for. That was something you anticipated. Some of you went on big trips on the other side of the country. It was something you planned for and you anticipated. Some of you just had a small window for a quick family vacation. It was something you planned for and you anticipated. And here's the reality. When you finally get there, it's pretty great, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. Now today what we're doing is we're looking at a portion of Scripture that carries the ultimate degree of anticipation. Not like a vacation or a sabbatical, the ultimate degree of anticipation. And that is the coming of the Messiah and the kingdom being ushered into our world. That's what we're going to be looking at today in Mark's gospel. We'll explain a little more, but first, let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, it is so good to be here in your presence, to sing of your truth, to be with your people, to hear your word. God, these are all ways that you seek to connect with us and minister to us and meet with us. And so we are here for it. God, we desire to be shaped by you over the course of these next few moments. Not by my words, but by your word. Because your word, God, is true. It is truth. It has absolutely everything we need to walk out our faith in real, tangible, consistent, faithful ways. So God, would you give us eyes to see this truth today? We humbly ask for ears to hear clearly the truth of your word. And then God grant us humble hearts, humble, genuine, pliable hearts before you that your spirit might work through your word to mold us and to shape us into the people that you desire us to be. We cry out to you. We plead with you because you're the only one who can do that. And so we ask that you would do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this morning we are beginning a, uh, a new sermon series. It is called Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives. Now, this is an examination of the life of Jesus. That's what we are going to be doing, and we're going to learn about what Jesus did. We will learn about what Jesus taught, and we'll seek to understand the significance of what happened when Jesus and his kingdom entered our world. I'm going to make this very, very clear. As a church community, I believe that as we look at what Jesus did by ushering in his kingdom, this will serve as a fantastic foundation for what he desires of us as the church here in White Lake as we head into the fall. This is going to be a great foundation for us as we look ahead at the new year of ministry. So, the Gospel of Mark. 
specifically chapters 3, 4, and 5. That is going to serve as our guide for this series. So let's grab our Bibles and begin the journey in Mark's gospel. We're actually going to pick it up at uh, chapter 3, verse 7. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. You're going to find that on page 838 in your ESV Bibles. So let's read along at what Mark has for us. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. They followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And they told his disciples to have a boat ready uh, for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. There was Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. There's Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Lots of names there. Lots of names that we are familiar with, perhaps a few that we are not. But what I want us to do today is not to focus on the names. Don't get all caught up on the names. We'll unpack some of that in the weeks ahead. But I want us not to focus on the names, but to focus on what Jesus does with those names, with those people. So what did did these people experience in Jesus' presence? What happened when the long-awaited Messiah arrived? Perhaps a better question for us today is what does any of that have to do with you and with me in White Lake in the fall of 2023? Why does it matter? You see, these are the things that we are going to be looking at together over the course of these next few weeks. Now, as we dig into today's text, and we're going to dig pretty deep, uh, it's important for us to have context. If you've been a part of our church family for any length of time, you know I love me some context. It's very important to understand what we're reading because we have to know what happened beforehand that leads us to this particular moment. What set the stage? That's what matters. That's why I want us to take a look at the first chapter of Mark's gospel. The series is Mark 3, 4, and 5, but I want us to go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15, because that's where Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry, and he proclaims something absolutely significant, so incredibly important. Here's what he says. He says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. Right here, Jesus declares the wait is over. The Messiah is arrived. And the only proper response that man can have in the face of this Messiah is repentance and belief. It's repentance of sin. And is an active response of faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who proclaims the kingdom. It is repentance and belief, repentance and faith. Now, with that vision laid out for us, that's what Jesus does in chapter one. With that vision laid out for us, the first two chapters of Mark's gospel kind of go on a little bit of a journey and they tell us about Jesus' ministry activity. There's some teaching, there is some healing, there's a little bit of confronting, there's a whole lot more. And that's what leads us to today's text in chapter three. So let's take a look. At verse 7, specifically 7 through 11, we'll dig a little deeper. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him. Now pay attention to this. From Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. What does that communicate to you? There were people coming from everywhere. They are coming. The masses are gathering around the person of Christ. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready. Because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. When Jesus arrives, things get wild. Things get wild. The arrival of Jesus is doing nothing short of sending shockwaves throughout this culture. That's why people from all areas are coming. They're gathering. But it's not just that. It also makes an impact into the spirit realm. The masses come to hear him, come to see him, come to touch him, and the demons well, they make their presence known too. They fall down before Jesus and confess him as the son of God. That is wild. It's absolutely wild. Don't blow through that like, well, I've read this a hundred times before. Catch the significance of what we've just read. From that moment that, we, that man fell in the garden, the earth and all of its inhabitants have been groaning and longing and waiting and anticipating for this moment, for God's intervention. And so with Jesus' arrival, a new era has dawned. With Jesus' arrival, bodies are being made new. There is healing and the dark spirits are being subdued. Let me put all of this another way. Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. That's what we see unfolding in this text. Jesus' reign brings heaven down to earth. 
And so as we read Mark's gospel, it's easy for us to see we can all acknowledge like, whoa, everything has changed in this moment. When Jesus enters our world, everything gets different. But what we might not see, what might, we might miss when we look at this text is that Jesus is actually doing something very intentional. He's preparing something. You see, Jesus is healing many. That's there. He's teaching. That's in there. But what is happening kind of under all of those things is he's building his kingdom. Jesus is pursuing followers. He is calling his disciples. And that is where you and I fit into the story. Today's text shows us that Jesus' methods in the first century are the same methods that he uses today. Here's what I mean. Look at Mark 13, chapter 3. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and he called to them those whom he desired and they came to him. You see, Jesus' disciples were called out from the crowd. Jesus called his disciples out from amongst the crowd. Now remember the setting. Jesus is healing, he's delivering people, and the masses are coming. They want good things. Jesus is giving good things. Healing is really good. I want some of that. Fact is, they all want a piece of him. They just want to touch him. So Jesus says, I want to withdraw to a mountain to get away from the crowds. Now, some of us might kind of pause there and go, wait a second. Why would Jesus remove himself? Why would he step back? Doesn't he desire to impact as many people as possible? Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Jesus is not looking for fans who will be wishy-washy. So therefore, he's intentional about who he calls to himself. Listen to the text one more time. He, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. How'd they respond? They came to him. Jesus called and they responded. but this is different than fans. Fans will clap while the, while the healings are happening. When good things are happening, the fans are all around. They're cheering. We know this because of what we saw yesterday in college football. Everybody's cheering Michigan right now, right? Woo! Maros, come on. How do you think the fans of Alabama feel this morning? Are they clapping? No, they're upset. Their season is in ruin. One week and it's a mess. It's because they're fans. Jesus isn't looking for you to be a fan. He wants you to be his follower. People who love him. People who desire to sit at his feet and learn from him. People who will follow him faithfully with obedience. That is what Jesus desires. 
in his classic book, Basic Christianity. I love the way John Stott unpacks this and he explains the call. He said, at its simplest, Christ's call was, follow me. He invited those people to learn from him, to obey his words, and to identify with them, themselves with his cause. To follow Christ is to renounce all lesser loyalties. That's the call. Church, if you were in Christ today, Jesus has called you out from the crowd. He's called you to repentance and faith. And he's called you to turn from the ways that you used to live and the allegiances and the idols that you used to have and to run to him as a follower. That's what he's called you out for. The question that every single person here needs to consider today as we hear this text, am I living as a called out one? Am I living set apart from the crowd? Am I living as a follower or simply a fan? The truth is, I have good news for you today. Called out ones, you can because of your faith in Christ. Because of him, you have been given a new identity, and it is Christ. It is in him. That's the reality of the called out ones. Now, let's return to the text, continuing on with just the first portion of Mark 3, verse 14. We're just going to look at that first segment of it. It says, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So after calling the disciples to the mountain, Jesus appoints 12 men for a very specific sort of following. It's a unique situation. You see, these men are the ones who will become the 12 apostles. We see that in the text. And that's why Jesus desires to invest in them. He wants to know these men. He wants to have a relationship with them. He wants to spend time with them and to teach them his ways. That's why the disciples were invited to spend time with Jesus. He called them out to spend time with him. Jesus invited his disciples into relationship. You know, what's true of the first disciples is the same thing that the Lord desires of us today. He desires to invest in you. He desires for you to spend time with him. He longs to have a relationship with you and you with him as a follower. I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, that sounds great, Pastor. You had a two-month sabbatical. You had all kinds of time to lean into that. Well, I did. I'm grateful for it. And truthfully, an increase in my intentional time with God was, in fact, one of the best things that I was able to experience on my sabbatical. But the key word there was an increase. I had extended time daily with God in prayer, and let me be very specific about it. It wasn't just a checklist of things that I asked of God. Prayer is a whole lot more than that. It's not a vending machine. 
So I prayed. And I was still and I quiet before him and I listened for him in God's, in God's presence. That's so countercultural. Everything is about information and knowledge and bombardment with everything, every minute of every day. Put your phone down. Turn the TV off. Turn the radio off. Be still. There's also times of reading and reflecting on God's word. And then I also had an opportunity experiencing some, some journaling of Scripture. Now again, you might think, well, Pastor, that's really easy for you to do. That was a good way for you to build and develop and to grow on your sabbatical because that would nurture your relationship with God. That is true, but here's what I want you to know. Those things are true of every follower of Jesus. That's not unique to me because I had a little extra time. This is true for you, and it can be true of you as you invest in those things. As you spend time with your Savior, These are practical, tangible, visible, consistent ways that you can practice these things and you can grow in your relationship with your Savior. Now, I want to be very clear. I am not standing up here to guilt you or to shame you. I'm inviting you into that experience because as we've seen with Jesus and the disciples, he desires a relationship. I want to invite you into that, particularly as we head into a new ministry year. You can experience more in your relationship with Jesus. There's more for you, called out one, as you spend time with your Savior. Now today is our fall kickoff. And so one immediate way that you can kind of put what I'm talking about into practice is at the end of the service, we're going to send you out and you're going to see some donuts and cider and that's great, that's for you. But what I want to have you experience is all of the different opportunities for you to find your spot in this church family. Where will you grow in depth of relationship with Christ? So, in review, God calls out his disciples. I want you to say that with me. God calls out his disciples. And he builds a relationship with his disciples. Say that. He builds a relationship with his disciples. Now, Jesus does both of those things for a very specific purpose. Let's look back at our text. Pick it up. Mark 3. 14, second half of that verse. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And so he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. We're all familiar with Peter's work. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. There's Andrew, there's Philip, and there's Bartholomew. There's Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus called out the disciples. He invested in relationship with these men, and he did so for the purpose of sending them out on mission. 
He calls them, he invests in them to send them out on mission. And this is not just a pattern that happens with this kind of ragtag group of guys in the first century. God has been doing that throughout church history and he's doing it today in White Lake, in your life. This is why Jesus' disciples were given authority to minister Jesus empowers his disciples with authority to serve him and to serve his mission. You see, that's why disciples are to be with Jesus, to be developed, to be trained, to be nurtured so that we might minister for Jesus. Look at verse 14 again. And he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. There's the relationship and then he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a second. To send them out to preach, that's your job. You're the one standing behind the pulpit, right? We're preaching a sermon to God's people and a worship service that is a good thought that is not necessarily what Jesus has in mind here. The kind of preaching that Jesus is talking about here is more closely aligned with this phrase, sharing the gospel. Proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming God's kingdom. To preach is to proclaim with authority. And that's exactly what Mark is emphasizing here. Church, there is tremendous authority in speaking and proclaiming the gospel. Because that is the only power that can change the world. That's it. Only the power of the good news of Jesus is is where we can cast demons aside. Only in Christ can lives be changed. Only in Jesus can someone go from death to life. That only happens in Christ. And this is the authority that he has given you and me, the called out one. That's where God's people say amen. (laughs) Church, if you are in Christ today, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're one of his disciples, this authority that I'm speaking of has been given to you. This is why the words of 1 Peter 3 are so important. Here's what Peter writes. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Peter isn't speaking to a group of pastors. It's not a pastor's conference. He's speaking to a group of Christ followers, called out disciples of Jesus. White Lake family, What we've seen in God's word today is how Jesus changed everything. When he entered our world, he changed everything. He started his movement when he called out the 12 disciples. He strengthened it by investing in them through relationship. And he advanced it by sending his disciples out to change the world in 
that authority. So let me close this morning with an exhortation, with an encouragement for all of you. Called out ones. On this fall kickoff, let's all be on mission in the power of King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.